Welcome to the Awkward Throw Clear, ladies and gentlemen, and Not If Theory Podcast Faithful. I'm your host of the subseries, Aaron Chalupa. Hopefully, you guys have been having a good summer. You know, a bit more relaxing than me. It's been quite busy for me. But, you know, hopefully you're driving out to the mountains, lake country, cottage life, cabin life, wherever you might be going. Have some time to listen to some podcasts, get caught up. When I've been on the road, I've thankfully been able to catch up on some episodes of my favorite podcasts. And one that I can say definitely is one of our sub-series, Midnight Owl Podcast. Very refreshing for our network to have something completely different than what we usually deliver and produce and I've been one that's been interested in any occult and superstition. I just find it so intriguing and, you know, the mystery and why we have these stories and where they came from. And, you know, like my favorite episode so far has been episode six, Bloody Mary. I don't really know a whole lot about, well, I should say I didn't know a whole lot about Bloody Mary and the origin stories, but it turns out there are many. And, you know, it's very well researched by Timothy. I give him lots of props for that. Uh, episode one sucked me right in right off the bat you know the narration of uh, the Windigo podcast uh, when in, in the intro where he's talking about driving down the highway you know taking a drag from the cigarette to have the nicotine to stay awake you know windshield wipers going crazy snows in the way covering the highway hopefully he can stay between the lines it does a really really good job you know very dark very ominous slightly seductive maybe Anthony how seductive is Timothy? Like, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I know he does a really good job at painting a picture and putting the listener into this setting that he's building and creating. And it, it's very informative. I highly recommend it. If you haven't checked it out, please check it out. On to my episode. You know, let's talk about me. Let's build me up a little bit. <clears throat> this is episode 36 of the Not After uh, Podcast subseries of The Awkward Throw Clear with Jesse Lumsden. Jesse Lumsden, if you don't know who he is, look him up. He's a hell of a guy. Uh, he was a running back in the CFL. I watched him as a teenager. He was one of my um, role models for for football. I always thought he was just fantastic at his position. Um, we talk about his career there. We talk about his you know his transition to bobsled. He was a three time Olympian. Like oh my god, that's that's ridiculous. You know, huge 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 praise on him for getting over there and making that transition. Uh, we talk about his career in bobsled, how how different it was, how Vancouver was, you know, like what a party that city was during the <laughs> during the uh, 2010 Olympics. And then we talk about do we touch a little bit about what he's doing now after he's uh, he's retired from CFL and you know in the summertime it's a bit quieter for him from from bobsled. Um, it's it was really nice and you know really really fun to talk with him. And just talk to him with somebody that I looked up to when I was a kid and just hang out and just see how, you know, regular and, you know, chill he is. Um, you know, hopefully I can sit down and record with him again and just talk more about uh, his, his hobbies and what he's been, what's been keeping him interested and what he's, you know, seen during his travels. You know, he's, a, he's quite the outdoorsman. Uh, he's into hunting and he's also, uh, you know, he's well, obviously he's very, uh, very much into sports too. So he's got a lot to offer there for sure. So this is episode 36, Jesse Lumsden. Hope you guys enjoy it. You know, as always, listen, like, subscribe, and share. Cheers. Love you guys. <coughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the, au- <coughs> the, <coughs> <coughs> the Awkward Throat Clear. Now, here's your host, Aaron Chalupa. 
How's it going on after 30 podcast listeners and likers of the Awkward Throat Clear sub-series podcast? My name is Aaron Chalupa, the Chalupa Cabra. I'm here with Jesse Lumsden, uh, former uh, running back for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, David Eskimos, Calgary Sam Peters. Uh, you got draft, uh, you got picked up uh, undrafted by the Seattle Seahawks and from my research as well, the Washington Redskins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also Olympian for Canadian bobsled team, two men and four men, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Right on. Well... Thank you very much for meeting me, Jesse. It's great to meet you. I was a huge fan of yours when I was a kid. Um, my family, we just bled green and gold for the Eskimos. My dad was a, uh, watching the Eskimos throughout the 80s. It was such a dominant team. And, <clears throat> you know, your dad yeah. was r- rushing for them. So, right. yeah, he, he, he was pretty happy when you came over to Edmonton as well. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're sitting here in Calgary um, in your uh, well, in a conference room here, but right. you work here. So what do you do now here in the summertime? Yeah, I work for a company called Resource Merchant Capital. It's a, it's a traditional, um, if you want to call it a merchant bank, where we uh, invest and, uh, uh, and support uh, small, smaller oil field service companies. Mm-hmm. Um, we get pretty hands-on with, with the businesses that we're involved in, and, and myself, my role is really identifying those companies and uh, evaluating them to see if they're a fit with uh, the rest of our portfolio companies. Um, so I started working with these guys in 2014 after the Sochi Olympics. I took a year and a half off, and it was through a networking opportunity and uh, and meeting the, the founder of the business, and he really took me on a flyer. I don't have a, a finance background. And my focus definitely isn't the finance side of things, so it uh, it's been a good experience of learning a lot. You know, I definitely uh, it's a tough city to be in right now with the, with the way the economy is. But mm-hmm. that being said, there's still strong spirit and people, um, you know, making the best of a kind of a crappy situation. Definitely. So with these smaller uh, oil field businesses, are, is that? Exclusively Alberta, Canada, United States, Western Canada. Western so Canada. Our okay. rule of thumb is we'll we'll work with a company that's within an hour flight. Anywhere oh, right on. Yeah, so it covers essentially from Saskatchewan to to Vancouver. Yeah, um, and everywhere in between in GP, Fort Saint John, and yeah, stuff yeah, like up that. north so, too. Yeah, uh, I mean Calgary is the main hub though. So even when you look at oil and gas companies and oil field service companies, a lot of the head offices are going to be either in Edmonton or Calgary, mm-hmm. and then you'll have the ancillary offices or shops up in the more remote areas closer to site. So we do definitely travel around to those areas, and it's good for us to be marketing, uh, you know, waving our flag and letting people know what we're doing and, and, and uh, how we're supporting some of these companies. Right on. Because right yeah. uh, you went, you, you played in university as well. What, uh, who, who was that with again? McMaster. McMaster. So what did you take there? I was a social sciences kid. I was, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I spent my college um, years really focusing on football and getting a degree, but it, I, yeah. I never thought I would... I never thought what it was going to be when I grew up, other than really wanting to play football. It's it's one of those courses that you can take, which is very broad, like a Bachelor totally. of Arts or Bachelor of Sciences yeah. or Political Science, where you can use that to get multiple positions or you know uh, careers, uh, or make multiple careers. But you know, you're focusing more so on what you're there for. Yeah, I mean, because you've got a scholarship as well, right? Uh, no, so I oh okay. back when you know now I'm dating myself, but when. There were no scholarships, strictly athletic scholarships, in the OUA when I was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a split academic athletic uh, bursaries and whatnot, but mm-hmm. uh, and I received a couple bursaries, but uh, they didn't. I can't remember the year that they really became a, a nationwide um, 
you know, sort of support vehicle, but it, it definitely wasn't around when, when we were playing. So I bartended and bounced at Quarters Nightclub and Bars Nightclub and, uh, but had had lots of fun for sure yeah and then came out with a geography environmental science yeah. degree so where, where did you grow up in ontario uh in burlington so about burlington 25 minutes from I'm, hamilton this the actual podcast is based out of milton oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. buddy of mine he's uh, he's running it and he's out of mississauga um anyway that's where he grew up but yeah he's, he's living in milton now so i've been over a few times so I, I know a little bit of the geography down south and also i work with so many people from ontario as right. well but uh yeah yeah so like that, that must have been a really fun time uh where, where was the university so it's university was right in the west side of hamilton oh, okay. uh, about 25 minutes from home which was nice because it was it was far enough away that i got the your real university college experience mm-hmm. uh but close enough that you know often me and a couple teammates would on sunday nights would would go drive to my parents place for yeah. a, a family a home cooked meal mm-hmm. do some laundry uh and then it was great because my folks could come out easily to most of well, all of the home games yeah yeah totally uh, and then the same thing you know when i when i was drafted by hamilton that was gonna have to move far <laughs> no exactly <laughs> um you know i was in in in, in seattle for a cup of coffee and training camp and then because my uh, Hamilton drafted my rights um, after I was released from the Seahawks I came back in and joined the Ticats about a third of the way into the season mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and finished that season off yeah I, I played football up in Peace River uh, okay. briefly um, one of the guys I played with was Lyndon Gaydosh oh, yeah. and he got drafted by the Hamilton Tigercats so, so funny because I was watching the, the draft on uh, TSN I'm like oh yeah what are you up to he's like oh yeah just having a beer <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, like, they're recording it in the Eastern Standard Time, and we're in the West, so it's a little bit earlier, so they're, like, doing the math, like, whoa, okay, that's that's kind of early. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he kind of went the same route. He got drafted, um, but he went to, uh, he got a, a sign, he got signed by the Carolina Panthers right. as a, for the practice squad and just to see if he could find a position, and then later on he came back. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it, and, like, uh, it was actually great to see him win a great cup uh, not too far ago, what was it, two or three years ago when the Toronto Argonauts won? I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so he was part of that squad, which is just awesome to see um yeah, yeah. Uh, how old were you when you started playing football i imagine quite young with your your dad yeah uh, when my quite dad playing it, it was kind of funny i play I, so i when i first started playing football i was about seven years old and mm-hmm. there wasn't um uh, an age group for my category my dad was coaching um the 10 year old kids so i would just i, I was practicing with his team mm-hmm. uh but never playing okay uh, and then the next year uh, came I think it was the tight division, so I was mm-hmm. eight, and they had a, a a league or an age group for that. And me and my sister both played for the Myers Riders uh, tight div- uh, team mm-hmm. in, in Ottawa at the time. And um, uh, I only played for a year, and then my parents pulled me out, and they didn't want me to play football until you know I I, I grew up and developed a little bit, and they mm-hmm. wanted me to experience other sports as well. So totally, we'll played, get those fundamentals. Like soccer yeah. is a great one for kids. Totally, I played soccer, played t-ball, and saw like in softball and played a lot of hockey uh ran track and then i wasn't allowed to play football until i started high school and then when i started high school it was i was in it right away mm-hmm. um, kind of i knew i was going to be football was going to be a part of my life mm-hmm. uh it and it was never forced by my my dad or you know one thing that he i did very well is he was always there just for support mm-hmm. and coaching and mentorship but i had to ask him for it Okay. It was never. Wow. It was never. He was never gonna, you know, drive me and push me. The motivation needed to come from me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, you know, as I grew, uh, and as I got through high school and close to university, that became. Uh, he it became more involved in 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 helping me, you know, um, 
he went and took a, I don't know if he took a course, but just started doing some research on uh, some uh, track and field sprinting drills and mm-hmm. sprint training and that sort of component of that. And we incorporated that into my own off-season workouts. And a couple of the other guys that I played with in high school, we all started doing these track workouts with my that my dad was coaching uh, going into university. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it had to be driven by us. Well, your dad also has a background in, in cycling too, correct? Um, he uh, he that was more from the corporate uh, world. He came in in 2001 uh, to run the World Cycling Championships in Hamilton, mm-hmm. and that was an interesting situation. Uh, it was a bit of a crisis management uh, at the time. It wasn't running that smoothly, and um, he was all just had just wrapped up his career at the as the general manager of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yep. Um, so it kind of he fit well into that role, and and and. Um, Kind of took it away from there and, and got over some hurdles and mm-hmm. ended up running a great world championships and I was working that as well and that was super cool to see that was my first sort of exposure to international cycling and kind of became a fan of it since for sure yeah yeah I go on a road bike I like to go pedal around and stuff yeah and when I was living in Jasper it's so much better uh, than living in northern Alberta it's quite <laughs> flat so you don't really get much topography at all right but yeah like I imagine that you have some really good um, trails around the, the Calgary area oh yeah and we do quite a bit of riding and, and when you get into the foothills there's some pretty good climbing to, yeah. to be done and definitely I've, I've been making trying to make a plan to do uh, the parkway from Jasper to Lake Louise. I think that'd be a really good That'd be an track. awesome ride. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially Jasper to Lake Louise opposed the other way around. No kidding. One really big climb. <laughs> that'd that, be that, would, that would kill me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say, that that's quite a quite a modern thinking that your dad had for, you know, having all this knowledge because, like, a tremendous amount of knowledge uh, as a professional athlete, but not to really push it on you and to let you come to him because, one, that's given you um, you know, like swallowing your pride, be like, hey, I should ask about this, or yep. you know, like understanding that, hey, he does have a, a lot of knowledge. Because I know when I was a teenager, you know, like, oh man, was he, you know, kind of thing. And my dad, funny thing, my dad was a middle linebacker yep. uh, in high school uh, when he was growing up in uh, North Edmonton. And then my oldest brother played middle linebacker. My right. middle brother played middle linebacker. And then I started as defensive tackle. And yeah. I hate this. I, I just felt like it never could get enough of a, a kick, like, you know, a starting run. Right. You know, so you get up and then all of a sudden you're pushing this guy that's, you know, 50, 70 pounds heavier than you. Right. So when I got bumped over to middle linebacker, then I was like, thank God. And I, I excelled in that position, well, for, for high school at least. And that was a lot of fun. It's yeah. just like completed the cycle because it's like oh I failed my family <laughs> <laughs> now you changed it you just yeah. pivoted that's all yeah yeah it uh yeah I think I mean I know some I, I'll be I have a daughter now and, and and my wife is uh an Olympic athlete as well and um we'll probably take a very similar approach and I have some friends who have are retired now from fo- both football and hockey mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's the same thing it's understanding that if you're gonna there's very few cases out there where the parent is you know pushes the child to the brink of break Mm -hmm. and they are able to develop resiliency from that and to overcome Andre Agassi is a great example Um, you know apparently the the dad uh, out of the kids I don't know how many kids there were three or four maybe and Andre was the youngest he was determined to make one of them a professional player and Andre being the youngest had the furthest to go all the time but the greatest growth opportunity because he was being pushed by 
siblings older than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the only one with the resiliency to be able to do that. And I think you look, you look at Tiger Woods' dad or the Serena yeah. and Venus Williams' yeah. dad, it's very similar. It's that, but, you know, you look at other... I don't believe any of those parents ever reached the pinnacle of, of athletic prowess, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And then looking at other parents who did that, um, you know, seem to have a very different approach. It's, you know, go play a ton of different sports, go experience a ton of different stuff. You know, you're going to, if you want to do it, you got to do it and you're going to work your ass off to do it, but you don't, you don't need to be doing it from your time you're eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll develop as an athlete. The better athlete you are, the better focus you'll have on whatever sport you end up doing. Um, so it's a bit of a philosophy, but you know, and it works both ways, and it just depends on really the the kid if they want it bad enough. Well, that's the number one thing is you got number one, you give them the opportunity, you know, put the ball, put the stick in their hands, and yeah. see what they do. And you know, <clears throat> and you hear it all the time now, especially with. Um, you know, professional athletes that are there, they're like, well, it was more of a choice for me. It wasn't pushed upon me. It wasn't right. expected of me. Yeah. And number one thing, you want your kids to have fun. Yeah. You know, and as, as soon as they're not having fun anymore, then why make them do that? There's, totally. there's a million other sports they could play and just be as good, you know, possibly. Right. You know, right. like, like, and look at you, you've adapted and went on to another sport and you're, you became an Olympian and you know, like if it's not, if one sport's not working, you always could go to another one, you know, yeah. if it, there might be just one little thing or a couple little things you don't like about that sport exa- entirely and then move over. Yeah. So. yeah I was you know, definitely fortunate to have that opportunity. <clears throat> Pardon me. Oh man. I'm just looking for my notes and no, we've, okay. already, we've already touched over so many things I was going to talk about. Um, So, you're just, you know, going into football when you when you're actually um, you know in the game and everything. Yep. One thing I just thought was just incredible that you could do. Like you, you looked so much bigger on TV yeah. when, when you got the equipment and everything. It just seemed like you know you could have played a tight end. Yeah. You know, almost like in my eyes. Um, and you more so didn't really shed the tackles as pushed right through the guy. Like it, when you're marching down the field, it's like you'd run through the guy opposed to just like, you know, stiff arm him or, uh, you know, a sidestep or anything like that. Uh, when you're about to take the hand off, like what's going through your head? Uh, yeah, it depends on the play, really. I, I became more of um, uh, a zone read type running back mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to a straight hole focused running back. So mm-hmm. zone read systems, I, you know, I, I felt like that um, worked best for my running style. Um, you know, one of my, I think my, one of my biggest strengths or assets as a running backs was my vision and my ability to read flow. Mm-hmm. And so that zone read system was very good for that because you were not necessarily uh, waiting for a hole to open up because of determined positions of where linemen were attacking, but creating flow and then finding the gaps in that flow. And it was really, you know, it was watching a down lineman because if, you know, once you get the handoff and I see where that down lineman's going, he's depicting the flow and he's also de- depicting the way that the O-line will continually block it, whether they're reaching to it, whether they're going downhill on it, and that really will determine whether I can stay front side or I'll cut back backside and yeah. find, find space there. Um, but it was always, yeah, I always loved running, you know, air quotes here, downhill. <laughs> um, I didn't want to spend much time in the, in the pocket. Yep. I wanted to gain that momentum and, and carry that momentum. Yes, and, yes. Um, being a bigger back and having speed, it, it was to my advantage that I could just carry that and try to just 
run through guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, my body didn't like it too much, but <laughs> well, that's football. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so many guys in football. Because like that's what I was thinking. Like if I kept with uh, football for many more years in in high school, and then you know by any chance go to college, university, and have the ability to go onto a squad there, um, was make the transition from middle linebacker to running back. Because yeah, in high school I might have been a, a bit bigger uh, from from my size, but right now 161, um, about 220 pounds, like. That's not really middle linebacker size, unless you're JC Sherrod. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I can totally um, relate to what you mean about you know running downhill and just getting that momentum and everything too, because that just it just you, you feel that much faster and you can just have that much more power. Yeah, it's it was yeah, I, you know, having conversations with guys after you play and stuff. Um, one thing guys would tell me is that my on camera they'd watch and it doesn't look like I'm fast mm -hmm. um, maybe stride length maybe I don't know what it was just because of my size but yeah um, be deceiving the dece yeah. it was deceptive so guys would put a line on me coming from the other side of the field and they'd think they have me and then all of a sudden they get to where they think I should be and yeah they're like oh I shit oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I missed on that one yeah <laughs> But, uh, yeah, again, just that speed kills, right, in, in just about every sport. That's Absolutely. the most important thing. So, Was there ever uh, a defensive player that you're like, oh, boy, not, not him today? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. There was always guys that I liked playing against because I knew it was going to be physical. Mm -hmm. um, Adriano Belli was one of those guys, and he's a good friend of mine. Uh, and, but we always battled pretty hard on yeah. the, on the field a healthy competition healthy competition uh, he never really was like it was never clean healthy <laughs> but he certainly had fun yeah um, I'm trying to think uh, yeah off the, you know a, a linebacker Jason Pottinger <clears throat> who I played with in university was mm -hmm. always fun to play against because we had that uh, rivalry as well and guys like Mike Botterill and Ray Marius um there's definitely been a couple, but never it's been about fear. It was always excited to yeah. take the person on. All right, on. And, um, and and to have that challenge. Well, yeah, like yeah. you have that challenge and it kind of excels you. For sure. It gives you that drive to, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get him this time. Totally. And it's yeah. when you prepare for that in film and mm -hmm. knowing what you're getting into and that helps you get amped up for it as well. Right. On. Uh, did you always play running back growing up? Yep. Um, as a junior in high school, when I first when I first started, they stuck me at safety, uh, but they, you know, um, they threw me back in the running back position pretty quickly, and it was really the only position I ever played. I played rush end a couple times in high school just for shits and giggles, mm -hmm. um, which was fun. But it was yeah, I was always a running back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, All right on. Uh, and I can't really recall that many times, but. Um, you you get the the, the past to you as well. Get Rarely, the, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. It seems that that'd be a. It, after you're just talking about the downhill uh, running there and get the momentum, it almost seems that it might not be your thing then to get the pass and then have to like, oh great, well now I have to. I'm looking Turn, up here, grabbing the ball, yeah. And now I got to pick up speed, and I don't really know who's around me. Yeah, and any like, I never got moved around like a you know. Um, a Marshall Falk or anything like mm -hmm. that into the I in, in a couple times but not as much as he would I predominantly was in the backfield so any passes I was getting was from the backfield a lot of swing passes yep. screen passes yep. Sweet. check yep. downs um, flat routes 
uh, you know, there'd be some vertical routes, but very, very rarely. Mm-hmm. And in, in college and both, I caught, I caught the ball more at the pro level than I did in college. Right on. Yeah. Um, heard me. Are there uh, players now that you really really enjoy watching in CFL or NFL? Um, yeah, it's. I, I to be honest with you, I don't watch a ton of football. You know, I, I, I'm a huge Adrian Peter, Peterson fan. Man, I'm a bit of a Vikings fan. I don't really follow NFL too much. Yeah. But he was unreal. Yeah, and it's just the way he <laughs> ran is. and then and just how he <clears throat> approached the game. And mm-hmm. um, so definitely it was about watching certain players, uh, you know, at how they perform uh, at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now you look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey who is – uh, great in college and uh, said he wasn't going to be a running back in the NFL and said he was too small and said he didn't run through power and he's tearing it up with the Panthers with, with Cam Newton and you know looking at watching guys like Peyton Manning throughout their career uh, and Tom Brady and, and just sort of that um, that showcase of what excellence is like and, 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 and what they what they're how do they utilize their principles to be the best of the best? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I like seeing how they execute their craft come game day. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's Sundays is you know usually um, during the fall I'm usually fishing or hunting or yeah <laughs> yep. so it's not <laughs> I'm not spending a ton of time uh, watching football. Makes sense, but it's just like maybe when it comes to, to playoffs or yeah, um, yeah I catch a game every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got a buddy in town or something. Um, what was it like to you know, uh, be a part of the CIS program uh, for university, and then jump over to the NFL. Just like, even training camp must sure. have been something different. No, oh, it was wild. So you know, I, I got the opportunity to go play at the East West Shrine Game, which was the NCAA All Star Game down okay. in San Francisco, and they invite two CIS players. Oh no way! Um, and uh, that was a great experience because I, 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 my goal always was to go get an NCAA scholarship, play NCAA football. Yeah, and that didn't happen. So I had a bit of chip on my shoulder going down there and. Um, had a ton of fun and uh, you know uh, my quarterback uh, was Ryan Fitzpatrick who's still okay. playing yeah yeah uh, every every running back and every quarterback kind of got one quarter mm-hmm. so I got the third quarter and we were part of the West team and there was some really really good talent in that cohort of people um, uh, Fitz was my quarterback and he was a Harvard guy uh, Kyle Orton was a Purdue guy and he played for quite some time uh, Ryan Grant was another running back. He was with the Green Bay for a while. Uh, Brandon Jacobs was on the East team, and he played for the New York Giants. And he was, you know, he's 6'5", as a running back. Like, he was a monster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's some pretty cool talent on that field. And that gave me the, really the opportunity to kind of get a, a taste for it because going from um, a Canadian football field, the biggest difference is the size and field. And yeah. often, oh, my God, it's massive. It's, 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 it's such a difference. And... Often people talk about um, how the NFL is so much faster. It's mm-hmm. not faster. It's played on a smaller surface. Yeah. So it looks faster. Yeah. You get to A to B quicker. This sort of sideline comes up on you much quicker. Holes open and close much quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of the biggest differences that I found is, and again, you know, coming, and, and it's, I was very green when I went to Seattle. Very green. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that after, it was a great experience for me, but because I never had really been a, not to sound arrogant, but you know, I, f- I felt like high school was had a pretty solid 
career. Mm-hmm. And then university at Mac had a really solid career with a great O-line and we did a lot of great stuff. Um, and was always kind of the guy. And now mm-hmm. I was a nobody coming into his situation. Big fish, small pond. Totally. Yeah. No, that's not arrogance at all. Like that's just, you know, if you, if you excel in high school, yeah. obviously you're, well, maybe not obviously, but a higher chance you're going to be going to university and if you then if you're excelling there you're going to go on to the next level right. so yeah like if you are crushing numbers and you know breaking records or you know getting close to records then yeah like, but in seattle is a whole different ball well, game it, the nfl is completely different completely different yeah. my ego was in check and i wasn't confident i lacked confidence in myself and mm-hmm. um so i think that was really good for me because when i came back to hamilton i could i could build that confidence back yeah. and then i signed with washington and that was a much better overall experience for me um, I was the last cut of the team that year, unfortunately, um, but still had a great had a great preseason, had a great training camp, mm-hmm. and really that's I felt like that 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 going from the Ticats to Washington gave me the confidence that I needed to continue to to go play at that that high level, whether NFL or CFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I finished that once I got cut, came back, finished that season off, and then decided to stay in the CFL. Um, was off to a great start and that's when I wrecked my shoulder for the first time mm-hmm. and then it kind of you know everything spiraled downhill after that yeah which is you know it is what it is yeah no I imagine that um, even a short a brief you know uh, you know a cup of coffee in the in that kind of league is still quite the experience it humbles you a bit and totally. it just gives you you know the grand picture and you know gives you a bit of a taste so yeah. you know like, hey this is something I want to go to or you know what I'm I enjoyed my experience. Let's see what goes on in the CFL or, you know, what else is there? Well, I just don't want to, I really wanted to give it a, a good shot. So, you know, Seattle, whatever. Um, Washington, after Washington, I felt like I was in a great opportunity. It was a great situation. I had people in my corner to support me and that's mm. so important. And when it came down to cut day on the, the last day, um, Clinton Portis was hurt going into week one and they said that we're not going to go into week one without an NFL-proven guy. Mm-hmm. And it was myself, Liddell Betts, and Rock Cartwright. And since I was a little guy on the totem pole, they brought in TJ Duckett. Oh. Portis ended up being fine. Yeah. TJ sat on the bench for that year, and I ended up going home. But, uh, you know, it's... Um, yeah, then at, at that point, I just was sick of kind of bouncing around, and I wanted to play football and establish roots, and mm-hmm. hence why I wanted to stay in Canada. Well, yeah, and like not just to establish roots, but make a name for yourself as well. Yeah, and prove, and prove that you can play. Well, and have a career. Like it's at the end of the day, it's just I, you know, I, I worked hard to get to that point so that I can earn a living to play football, and uh, it's tough to do that if it's tough to do that if you're not only uh, bouncing around because there's loyalty involved, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, you know, camaraderie and, and team dynamics that play a part, and you don't want Absolutely. to necessarily develop a reputation of being a, um, a shitty teammate. You don't want that staying on you. No. So it's, uh, you know, at that time, it's like, okay, let's, you know, you gave it a great shot. Let's go give Hamilton everything. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, what I d- did for the next few years after that. Yeah. Unfortunately, like my everything. <laughs> It was good. It's just, you know, with injuries getting in the way. Yeah, and, like, you know, you never want to be the guy that brings up the injuries and everything because that's, that's a tough time. But that was a big um, a, a big downfall on your career. Yeah. And, you know, the, the term injury-prone, it's – I don't know. I, I wouldn't say injury-prone. I just say it's bad luck. You know, it's, yeah. it's – you, you know, if you hurt your shoulder, you hurt your knee, it's going to be easier and easier to hurt it again. So it's, like, it's wrong place, wrong time, wrong positioning. So many things could just go the, the, the wrong way. Yeah, I've been pretty healthy throughout my um, 
college career and Mm -hmm. and my high school career and a couple little things here and there, but my shoulder going for the first time and then coming back and then halfway through the next season going again and then coming back and then signing with Edmonton and then going again in, in the first game of the season, I was just... Like holy, holy shit! What is happening? Yeah. And that, I mean, again, then you did go through a downward spiral of mental um, uh, adversity and, and and lack of lacking confidence in, in your mm-hmm. ability and just as a, as a person. And oh, just doubting your body as well. Totally. It's just like I've got the drive, I've got the fire in my belly, and I got in my in my head the de- determination. But why is my body, you know, letting me down? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that was. A, I think that I mean, at the end of the day, it's it it helped build more resiliency because I you know it was about all it was about was just getting back up and continuing to going and then bobsleigh kind of popped into the picture and you know I never really thought anything about it I was actually when they called for the first time in 09 I was just about to go into free agency they called you yeah oh, so wow. they they, uh, they they have different recruiting programs they have these open camps and then they have these blue chip camps where they target a couple athletes and bring them out to mm-hmm. test and because it was a home games coming up they had uh, a ton of money. Yeah. And they could afford to bring, fly people out, put them up, put them to training camps, mm-hmm. take chances on athletes. And so myself, um, well, I got the call and I kind of said, ah, and my dad was there. And he goes, why not try it? You know, it's, you're going to go train with Olympic athletes, get yourself out of the mindset. You're only going to become better for it. Yeah. It'd give you a different perspective. I was like, yeah, okay. So I went out for a two-week training camp, and at that camp was uh, Chad Rempel, who was, uh, at the time he was playing receiver, now he's a long snapper, um, uh, and Neville Wright, who's a track and field 100-meter sprinter, yep. and uh, Nathan Cross, who was a former bobsledder who came back, so there was the four of us, um, and one other guy by the name of Jack Pick, who was an older who was an older bobsledder who was trying to do a bit of a comeback, or see if he could do a bit of a comeback. And I fell in love with the sport pretty quickly and realized that, I, you know, maybe something can happen here yeah um so we'll put in the time and you know trade kind of created that communication um platforms that they knew what i was doing and i knew it uh i needed to be due for them and once the injury happened uh i knew i was going to need another surgery and bcs at the time was very very helpful with you know helping facilitate that and just getting into uh, getting me into some see doctors and get second opinions and figure out the timeline when I could be in a sled again because mm-hmm. I'd only really I'd, I'd done a two week training camp I'd flown home and then I flew to Canadian Championships uh, a couple weeks after that in February they had already finished their season mm-hmm. they were out in Whistler just getting a ton of runs on the Olympic track that was going to be the, the next season and um, I got a really a good chance to slide with Pierre Luders and I, yes. and I raced with Pierre in the Canadian Championships, um, and then got the opportunity the following year once I had my surgery and I was ready to get back into a sled. I really had three races to try to make an Olympic team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting being going from a running back who's kind of you know um, a focal point and the re- like a receiver who's a focal point and a quarterback who's a fo- focal point with the O line that's the support role. Now yeah. I'm in a support role. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, my pilot is my focal point, which yep. was very cool. Yes. Um, and, and I really appreciated that, that role. Um, so 
beyond this, the sliding, it was about understanding the dynamic and how you work as a team. And of course, um, well, as one unit, as one right. Unit. Like, yeah, you're you're two or four people. Yeah. But as soon as you get in the sled, you are one unit. You're one unit, and it's you know, and all the work that goes into. I mean, you really put in ninety nine percent of your work, you know, off the track to mm-hmm. slide. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, all your training. You know, you think about four years of training and four years of sliding. And racing for an Olympics, which will, you know, as a crewman, your job is done in, if you do both two man and four man, you're done as, your job is done in 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. Four heats, two different disciplines. Yep. Like your Olympics, your contribution is 40 seconds. It is so incredible to like, I've just been I've always enjoyed bobsled, like obviously since cool runnings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is just the, you know, the typical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, like every, even like you know, Salt City, Turin, all that. Like it's just been, it's a fascinating sport to watch. But it is, it must be so stressful, just to like work on your starts. You know, you, you know, hitting the bobsled, running, jumping in, and just really that's what you as the brake man or the other three, uh, you know, the three guys and the uh, pilots are doing that too. Yeah. But just all your effort, you know, into four heats. Yeah. Uh, you know, for you know, for four. It, uh, doing that all for four years, right. every four years for the Olympics. You know, you have World Championships in the World Cup, um, but it's just so so small. It's just like you know, if you're doing a uh, hundred meter dash or fifty meter dash, totally. You know, like it's just all that for just you know less than a minute. Yeah, totally. Uh, incredible. It's, it's, it's it is a build up. It does definitely creates um, you know a sense of. Uh, urgency to get your shit together mm-hmm. and, and to make sure everything counts. And when I do sort of my public speaking or corporate speaking, I talk about now I talk more about my principles that I've learned throughout my career that have really helped me. And a big one is um, purposeful pursuit of excellence and mm-hmm. understanding that, especially in the sport of bobsleigh, you have so few opportunities to work on your craft mm-hmm. that you have to make sure that there are no wasted reps mm-hmm. and there are no wasted um, 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 practice uh, pushes or, or runs or loads or whatever because if you fuck one up and you don't fix that mistake or you don't do it properly or you have a bad day you'll never get those back mm-hmm. and uh, you know everybody else in the world is getting who you're going to be competing against at the Olympic Games you know, may have had a great day, so now they have one up on you. Yeah. Um, so it's really having that purpose for uh, purposeful pursuit, not just going to the gym and not just showing up at the ice house or the track, but making sure that you're there mm-hmm. and really focused on on exactly what you're doing um, at that moment in time and putting um, you know 80% effort or above into that that yeah. day and, and really understanding that that's going to be the difference maker when it comes to the Olympics. Well, yeah, you don't want to like let your teammates down, or your coaches down, or you know. You'll, you're coming to play. You're coming to win. You know, and you're doing you it for the guys beside your you. In. Pardon me. And you're doing it for the guys beside you. Yeah. Because um, it is a team sport, of course. which is great. That's yeah. great. That's the best thing about it. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely learned a lot for sure. Transitioning from football to bobsleigh. So what would be the, some of the biggest things? Because like you, you look at it and you think that you know, uh, football and rugby, those would be the prime places to take somebody and throw them into the, the you know into the sled. Yeah. Um, what were some Differences that you had, or things that you had to really focus on going to bobsled. Yeah, I joke about how I trained for bobsled my whole life without knowing it because it <laughs> yeah. is so similar. Oh my it's, god, it's yeah. power and speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the it's the steep learning curve of the of the technical component. Like mm-hmm. I could look at a video of me pushing in my first year, and then of me pushing in my last year, mm-hmm. and 
it's night and day. It's yep. like two different athletes. Yeah. And it's just, it's again, it's just those reps and hitting proper angles because, um, you know, it's not about just being able to run fast. Nope. You have to be able to move mass mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and put force through the ground. And that's the biggest thing. technique. And, you know. and that's all about your technique and your positioning and your angles. And so we spend a lot of time, um, you know, working breaking the push down and working on it on different segments and what we the very first initial movement is um what we call the hit Mm -hmm. and so we'll just work the hit Mm -hmm. we'll just work um the drive phase which is about 15 meters we'll just work the overspeed Mm -hmm. which is you know you transition your body completely transitions into a different um uh, angle very similar to if you watch 100 meter sprinters how they come out low and hard they start to, at like 30 to 40 meters, uh, maybe even 60 meters, they start to rise up mm-hmm. and allow their hips to get through so they can yep. get a higher turnover because they're creating more velocity. But um, And then the overspeed and the load. So it's you break these down into segments and you, and you sort of uh, work work within the segments and then you're able to try to put it all together and to put it all together as seamlessly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't easy to do. No. As, as you know, as you've tried it. Yeah, well, and like this is the funny thing is that like, I'm going to admit it. Like, I'm a bit of an armchair guy, and, like, I'll see something. I'm like, I bet I could do something like that. Yeah. And I, I try to follow through with it, like, just to try it. And then I become very humbled. That's good. <laughs> so when I got the idea, like, I, I thought about it when I was younger, too. And I really should have, you know, invested more time in there being a seasonal uh, employee with the um, government of Alberta being a firefighter. Yeah. You know, have all this time in the summer to just, you know fight fire, get strong, go to the gym, all that kind of stuff, because we have a very nice facility up north. Um, and then, you know, have all this time in the winter. Like, it just seems like the perfect system, right. you know? Make money in the summertime, where we work with the government, which is good pay. In the wintertime, put it towards, you know, training or something like that, and, you know, possibly, you know, learning more about bobsled and everything. Sure. I just, you know, a young guy, didn't really go anywhere with sports, and just like, oh, well, maybe it's just too much. Yeah. Um, you know, why, why even bother? And then this last summer, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to see what it's like. So right. I sent in the email, wanted to see what was going on, because I heard that they're traveling around, you know, uh, just after the, the, the Korean Olympics. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, these are the tests. And not, not many, you know, you got the, what was it, the 15 and 30 meter, or 15 and 30 yard? I think it's the 15 meter, 30 meter yeah. a, a sprint. Yeah. And then the... Standing, standing long jump, and then the underhand medicine ball throw. Yeah. I'm like, all right, there we go. Didn't really have medicine ball to try that out, but that is one hard test there. It's, it's super awkward. It is awkward. <laughs> if you don't have the technique, because you're, counter, you're countering, you're, before you throw it, you're countering with a loaded weight, so you can well, throw moment, yourself yeah. all, all off balance if you exactly. don't have it uh, dialed in, for sure. Yeah, and like the sprinting, uh, that was obviously one of my more str- stronger suits. You know, when I was younger, we did track and field a lot. And then standing long jump, I was like, oh, yeah, two meters, sweet. I'm, I'm doing all right. And the other guys there at the combine is clearing three. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, yeah, just like looking at YouTube videos, you know, how to, you know, uh, build your explosiveness, your speed, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, like, the, the amount of science is 
incredible. Totally. About, you know, like you're talking about how you like, you know, get low and then you're sprinting and then you get up and everything. And then, you know, you have some people that like lean into the sprint as well. Right. Like just little, little things that you don't really think about. Cause right. when you're, when you're a kid and you're in track and field and just running like just in run. junior high or, you know, elementary, you just run. Yeah. You just try to run as fast as possible. It's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, Oh, I've done this my whole life playing tag. Yeah. But you know, as you get older and older and older and this is like, okay, like how, what's the one thing I could get more of an advantage against my opponent? Right. You know? And so it was, it was definitely humbling and it was definitely eye opening just for that, uh, that combine alone. And then meeting um, Kevin, the pilot from Ontario, mm-hmm. just a giant of a guy. He must be six foot seven or something. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really, really interesting guy. Young, he's like twenty one or something, but he's getting into it right off Perfect. the bat, which That's is great. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And got to go down the track with him. And I was I was describing it to you before because I was asking him what your first slide was, and you're like, well, it's kind of hard to explain. And I told you, he's like, well, I've always thought it was kind of like a tandem bike. Going down a hill, bumpy yeah, road. I like that. You don't see where you're going because you don't think about that. Like you see, you see the guy's heads down in the bobsled. Yep. But you know, until you're there, it's like, wow, I'm not seeing anything that's going on here. Yeah, you learn to develop a good ass, and you, that's where you feel everything, mm-hmm. right? Because of the pressure in the sled and how mm-hmm. it pushes you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and as crewman, and if you're a good crewman, you know every track by feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that takes time because the first night, like you said, you know. It is being put into a garbage can and thrown down the hill the first time. <laughs> and then you can kind of, like, okay, second time, you might be back in the garbage can, but soon you'll be in a tent on the bike. Yeah. And then you can feel a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and well, just, just better positioning, too. Better positioning, like, I was holding yeah. out of something, and, like, the sides of my hands were just so bruised for probably about a month. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well, I got to adjust that, or else like, I'm not going to be able to hold on. Totally. Um, the mouth guard was a great uh, suggestion from Alicia Risling. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been talking to her, trying to um, uh, meet up with her at some point for an interview as well. Right but on. it's just all these little things you just don't even think about. It's like, oh, wow, that is a ton of, of like, G-force. Yeah. You just think you're going fast, like you're driving in a car or something like that. Right. But really, like, you're t- doing these turns, which... You forces know. you into uncomfortable positions. Exactly. And then if you're with a newer pilot, you're going to touch more walls and see more track. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you know now, the inside of a sled is fiberglass and steel. There's no... It's like a canoe yeah, so with there's, little blades on it. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no luxury about being in a sled. It's no. built for performance. So. And especially, like, the starter sleds where you don't have the money to buy nice ones that are a bit more comfortable a little bit lighter all that kind of stuff yeah you just have these there is no comfortable sled no no <laughs> there is i'll tell you right now there is no such thing as a comfortable sled only for the pilots oh lucky guys yeah <laughs> but they, they they deserve it they have to see where they're going well after after the first run when i was with this guy um he turns back to me he's like yeah how, how was that and i look at him and it's like you're your, your goggles are fogged up. He's like, oh yeah, they fogged up like ten seconds right after we started going. I just had to go by feel. I'm like, oh okay, sweet, thanks for that's that. That's not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing either. I mean, yeah, that's. Oh, well, I was very should, impressed. That's for sure. You should get his shit sorted out, but it uh, it happens a lot. Visors oh, yeah. will flip up. Yep. Goggles will fog up. Yeah. Oh, you get different tips and totally. tricks like how to make sure they don't get fogged up. Yep. This and that and whatnot. Like again, like I think this is his first first year sliding, so it, he doesn't only you know. To, to go up, I was actually given a recommendation about getting into um, a unit crew because he's so bloody huge. Uh, he would be able to do hell attack, but unit crew you've got a twenty-person crew. Yeah, do a lot of uh, sustained action where you're taking care of the fire to extinguishment. So okay, yeah, he was like, oh, I don't want to wait tables or bartend. You know, like I figured do something where I can actually like work out and exercise and right. be outdoors and everything. I'm like, 
have I got a job for you. <laughs> so, and I guess you're already kind of established because you hear the stories from a lot of uh, different uh, folks in bobsled that they had to take another job, do this, um, you know, get out of school, kind of thing like that to really commit to this. Um, what was your situation like? Were you uh, married at the time? Or? No, no, no. It. Um, um, I was when I first essentially when I started dedicating my time to bobsleigh, I was single, um, and I just moved. I was. I signed with Calgary after the Vancouver Olympics and mm-hmm. finished that season and then re- retired. Um, and then it was just really focusing on bobsleigh. Uh, because I came from a career, I definitely had some more cushion uh, financially, but I also, um, you know, got out into the network and started... Once I realized Calgary was going to be home, I just made a plan to, you know, make it a priority to get more involved with the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that this was also a kick in the ass that, okay, you have this great bridge opportunity to, to keep competing, but now this is, you realize that sport's not going to last forever. So start putting some things in place to figure out what you want to do. Um, so I, I did, I did a number of, you know, speaking engagements and whether it's through kids and uh, literacy programs at schools or more corporate events or, um, uh, whatever it might be. So I, I started to build that out, which helps support, uh, you know, the costs of, of competing and sliding and rent and all that sort of stuff. And then in 2014 is when I'm, 2013 is when I met Chad Robinson and, and he became a bit of a mentor and we met once a quarter to have a coffee and, you know, solve all the world's problems. And, um, he was starting, up, yeah, exactly. And he was starting up resource at the time and offered me a, an opportunity to come feel out the industry and, mm-hmm. uh, built out a five year plan to do that after the Sochi Olympics. Uh, and now we're actually just in year six, so that, that five-year plan's been executed, and I'm still here, which is nice. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's... But it's definitely tough for... If you're a younger athlete and you're coming out to, you know, finishing college because it's a late-entry sport uh, and you don't have a career and it is a dream, you're going to have to sacrifice and you're going to have to figure ways out to, to make it work and... Uh, take advantage of the opportunity that you have in front of you and be a little bit nimble. When I first started doing it, my dog was with me too, so I was staying at friends' places on their couch. You know? Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the reality of the situation, mm-hmm. um, staying in people's basements. Between Calgary and Vancouver. Calgary and Edmonton. Oh, Edmonton. Because yeah. I was living in Edmonton because I was playing with them. Yes. I yep. finished playing with them. And mm-hmm. I, um, just at the beginning. I just at the okay. beginning. Yeah. So, um when I would tra- travel to Calgary, I'd just be sleeping on people's couches or yeah. guys that were in the program. Yep. Um, I would offer the place up and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it was always great. Um, but you just got to figure it out. Totally. If it's worth it, you figure it out. Well, that's, that's yeah, and that's almost any kind of dream, you know. Totally. You're, you're hoping to get in the arts. If you're hoping to get in, you know, whatever professional sport. Yep. Absolutely. It's not going to be smooth sailing. So. No, 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 not at all. Um, what was it like to be at the Vancouver Olympics? It was the best. Like it seems like that could have been like, that was your first Olympics, but yeah. I think that was your pretty best bad pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, seeing John Montgomery grab that jug of beer and just start chugging it, like it's like it's a very Canadian moment right there. And it, yeah, that and then you guys and everything. I remember the ads and it was like the, the when I saw the first time that I heard about you going to bobsled was the what was the ad? It was an ad for something. It maybe Canada Post or something, and it was you and Pierre, and you're pushing down this like mail cart. In an office. Oh, that was different. That was oh. uh, yeah, yeah. That was that was a, um, a bit of a self project. 
Oh, okay. that was for 2014. Oh, that was 2014. Yeah, I thought the, that was for Vancouver. The, the push stuff video. Yeah, that one. That's like the kind of the comedy. Video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but Vancouver. We're, we're serious in the commercial. All big smiles. No, we tried to. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of a bit of a marketing campaign for Justin and I. Justin oh, okay. and I competed together in Vancouver on Pierce four man sled, mm-hmm. and then Justin became a pilot, and mm-hmm. uh, I ended up sliding with him a number of times. But. Um, yeah, Vancouver was absolutely compared to the other two games, which you know Russia was what you'd think it would be. Yeah, seems like a gong show. Gong show, and Korea was very cool in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Vancouver was the absolute just everything pinnacle of my athletic career. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, I get goosebumps thinking about the opening ceremony still. Yeah, it, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I really I was in Australia at the time when oh, really? I started. Yeah, I was in the West Coast. I was doing some work and then uh, just traveling around having fun. Um, so I didn't get to have the full experience that every, every everybody else did, and I do love the Olympics, so I feel kind of bad about that. But it was just such an amazing Olympics for Canada totally. because the previous one was in Calgary, and that you know that that still holds a lot of uh, significant value for Canada. But this is Vancouver, the dominance that Canada yeah. you know put out, and just I, I just think like all the athletes just were just pumped to work together. Totally. It wasn't like, okay, yeah, that's hockey team, that's those guys, that's this guy. You know, yeah. like it was Team Canada. Like, team Canada. And that's, you know, because of the COC's initiatives to really build out the Canadian program. And I can't remember really when the COC was established, but since then and since they're, they've gone through their growth period and now they do a very, very good job of making sure athletes are ready for the games and understanding, you know, bringing athletes in for these work labs, mm-hmm. um, bringing in speakers, putting them through seminars, and that way you can interact with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Vancouver was different because everybody's family and friends were there. Mm-hmm. So it was like everybody's family was there. And then you go to Sochi, and I feel like, and talking to a couple other athletes who competed in... Um, Sochi and Vancouver, the bond with the athletes grew in Sochi more than Vancouver because all we had was each other. Yeah. Families weren't coming around. I, I heard stories that uh, the, the athletes' village was not up to spec, you know, for a lot of the, the different teams and stuff. Like, the, yeah. this, in some cases, there weren't enough beds. Um, it just wasn't a comfortable spot, and it kind of felt like you were... I wouldn't say a prison, but uh, not not the most welcoming of spots. Yeah, it just was one of those things. But at the end of the day, you're there to do a job. Mm -hmm. And um, as long as you have the bare necessities, that's that's all you really need. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, people have done uh, a lot more with a lot less. Oh, yeah. So if, you know, you try to keep things in perspective and um, understand why you're there and try to continue to, you know, choose positivity, enjoy what you can, Mm -hmm. even though it may not be perfect scenario... And that's because it gives you this false sense of optimism because it is the Olympics. You're thinking it should be a perfect scenario. Oh, God, no. But it's not. And even Vancouver had their issues as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Sochi, you know, we some of the places we stay on tour are equivalent to what we would consider from like a, a lodging or a health and nutrition standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, not great for performance, but at the same time, you got food, you got a bed, you got shelter. Mm-hmm. Shut up and go to your job. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 for sure. No, I, and like you think about other places. Um, I went to uh, the Balkans. Uh, I, I frequent Europe uh, every few years, um, 
went to the Balkans and was able to go to Sarajevo and check out the bobsled track there. I'm not oh, sure yeah. you've ever seen. Have you seen? I've it? seen pictures. Yeah, it's it's something else. It's, it's very like, interesting. Uh, post-apocalyptic sort of scenario now. It's incredible. Yeah. It looks like they could do like a film there and there'd be zombies around and stuff. Right. Um, but it, it's it's still a beautiful. Um, I don't know view. Yeah. Uh, and the, the graffiti is incredible. They use it now for mountain bike. And they just, I've heard that. Yeah, they do a big track and everything, and I've seen a video on that, and that's really, really cool. That's awesome. I do a bit of longboarding, and I was like, oh, that'd be something else to fly down that. <laughs> totally. Terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, you just think about what they, like the athletes might have had to deal with, you know, being, they were still communist at the time. Yeah. And, you know, not the wealthiest nation and everything. So, it, you know, like, like you say, it's like you make do, and people made do with a lot less. Yeah. So, yeah. no, and like, you don't want to be the the whiny athlete either, and you know Canadians we have a we have a you know standard to uphold. Totally, yeah, absolutely. So, no, that that must have been something else. Um, and then going through, um, do do you find that switching your your sport really helps you with your mental health? Because it seems that you're quite the advocate for mental health and making sure that. Um, you know, your mind and your body are intact for anything that you're doing, whether it be sport or just going through daily life. Yeah, I think it goes. You have to go through some dark places to understand and, and appreciate the um, the importance of, of um, a positive outlook and, and taking care of yourself and taking care of your mind. And um, you know, it wasn't until. 2017, 2018, uh, 2016, 2017. I started use, using uh, the MindSpace, um, Headspace app. Sorry for uh, practicing mindfulness and med- daily meditation. Headspace. Yeah, Headspace. Okay. Um, it's a guided meditation app, and there's free components to it, and then you can buy out, and it's a bigger package. But mm-hmm. uh, I found that helped a ton. Um, again, being mindful isn't necessarily about you know being monk-like but it's about being present where you are yeah and that's a big component of what i was saying earlier about being able to really take advantage of the few opportunities you have to be to improve in the sport um but also just through the constant uh, injuries through football and the kind of the self-doubt and uh you know the dark uh, sort of times that i had with with that being able to so lean on that definitely wasn't done alone lean on loved ones around me and family and friends and smart people to uh-huh. help me understand and realize that the, you know um, it's this every situation is what you make of it uh-huh. and my favorite line from I think it's the, it was one of the Dark Knights from the Dark Knight series it was when uh, I think it was Batman Begins and you know young Bruce Wayne falls down his dad comes over he goes why do we fall Bruce and to learn how to get back up yeah and that's it um and as long as you keep getting up physically, that'll take care of itself. And the, you'll build the resiliency to can kind of get through every situation and, and tighten that failure loop, which is essentially falling down, understanding why you fell, being thoughtful about how you fell and why you fell, and figuring out how to get back up and, and, and continue on that upward path. That loop will get smaller and smaller because you can troubleshoot your problems quicker and quicker because mm-hmm. you have a, a, a formula around it. And, and then incorporating the, the mindfulness um, you know, I know and, and supporting um, the mental health initiatives um, is, is mainly because you know I have friends that have gone through mental health issues and, and, and family um, and, and so it's one of those things that you, you can only be empathetic towards a person who's going through something like that because you can't actually feel it you can't you know they don't have a, they have a broken arm you go smash your arm in a door you can 
it, you can understand what they're going through. Mm-hmm. But everybody's fighting a battle that we know nothing about. Oh, 100%. Um, so just trying to keep that into perspective when you are dealing with people on a daily basis. And, and we, now I have my own shit and you have your own shit and we all get caught up in it. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you never know what somebody else is going through. And um, again, um, it's just trying to find ways that to, to help alleviate some of that for personally and then support those who are going through their own their own struggles as well. No, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, there's some times where you're just having a really rough day and you're a little bit frustrated or stressed and you just get a little bit upset with somebody else. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's really, you really need to step back and think, you know, like, okay, what are they going through? And you know, right. I don't want to be an addition to that stress on them. Totally. So, you know, like I've, I've try to, you know, keep in mind, you know, try to be kind to other people and be patient is yeah. another great thing, especially, you know, in the firefighter world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm leading a crew this year. And then last year I was a man up soup, which is another supervisor role. Um, it's, it's important to be able to come down to their level, mm-hmm. like of their experience and their position to kind of put like, you know, uh, common phrases, put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, you understand all this, but you need to take a step back and just see what, how they're seeing things and talk to them. Yeah. And where I, they're going. And I mean, when it comes to your work uh, or competing at the Olympics, you know, the, one of the most important things is execution. So it's, especially for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you guys have a lot more on the, on the line than we do competing as athletes and well we build you guys up pretty well in society that's for sure totally but <laughs> like, like we're watching the finals of the NBA and yeah you know you got some moments there it's like alright yeah it's great yeah it's clutch moments totally yeah. but it's you know um, there comes a time where you know you have to be I think there's especially if you're leading a crew it's you you're empathetic to a point and you come down to somebody's level or put yourselves in their shoes to a point but if they can't execute and do their job they're not, nope. they're not fit for that position absolutely and you're, you're hoping that coming down to their level and not try to make yourself intimidating to the point where they might break that it more so challenges them makes them step up yep. and take on a, a bigger role right you know and understand the the situation as well right so <clears throat> pardon me um and just to wrap it up as well um you know uh, you, you've had quite the, the athletic career. It's you know, and it's summer's coming in. What do you do for the off time? Uh, you know, you, you said you have yourself a daughter. Yeah, uh, two years old. Two years old, just turned two. Right on. And yeah. you've been married how long? Uh, I don't even know. For, yeah, yeah like, long enough. You, know, you, you lose track of the years because they've just been so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, you got your family life. Uh, your folks are in back in Ontario. They're back in Ontario. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, you mentioned that you do uh, hunting and fishing. Yep. Nice. And you just kind of keep that locally here? Yes. And uh, this year we'll be, now that our daughter's two, we'll be doing some more camping, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be getting back to doing some camping, which we're really looking forward to. Um, I haven't been out fishing yet this year. Work's been pretty busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a big part of sort of that mental health component too, getting away from everything. It's just Absolutely. going, stepping into the river and... Oh, just have the ambient noise of the, the river going down. And, and watching the water and trying to hook into a couple fish, which is mm-hmm. which is pretty, uh, which is always nice. Uh, but even if not, it's just being outside and, and, and kind of being able to clear your mind and think about some things. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, as soon as September rolls around, becomes hunting season and it's about filling the freezer. Yep. I've done a terrible job the last couple of years, but... <laughs> It's uh, helped a couple of people get fill some tags 
so in 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 part I you know get some meat from from that which is and you're good. strictly bow hunting it yeah nice yeah for now so it's uh um and I'm going back to a recurve this year so I'm making it even harder for myself yeah I don't know why but I saw, I saw the post and was yeah. like oh okay <laughs> yeah I don't know why it's like, <laughs> I was talking to a buddy about it and I said and I said I you know I said I gotta go back to the basics and I really gotta go I mean with a recurve it's why am I doing it? It's to really put meat in the freezer mm-hmm. and not about necessarily chasing certain types of animals. Mm-hmm. So going to a recurve, if I can put anything on the ground with a recurve, mm-hmm. um, that's a, that's a huge, 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 uh, accomplishment. Oh, totally. So it, uh, and what do you like to go for usually? Like you usually put in for an elk or moose? Or? Yeah, I do general most tags. I've been building priority for my antelope, which I'm excited about. I should. Do I have this actually as well. I think I'm at my fourth year. Yeah, so yeah. I'm five or six. So hopefully by next year I'll be able to go get my uh, antelope tag. Uh, but I put in for. I do usually do general mule deer, whitetail, elk, and moose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually go for my general uh, whitetail up north. We have so many of them. Uh, yeah. Muleys, you have to put in uh, a priority. I want to go back to, like, I'm from the Peace Country, so, like, Peace River area. Yeah. And we have a lot of elk there, so that would be a really good way to fill the freezer. That's, and that's I, the best. I don't have as much uh, patience or, um, as, uh, you know, bow hunters do. I'd love to go sometime, but thankfully my Tika 30-odd-6 has been doing a good job for me this last couple of years. So I just bought a, a 270 and oh, nice. um, off of my friend because it's gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I haven't filled the, haven't, I haven't done it in the last two years. I'm not going to be... I really appreciate the, you know, the, the process of hunt, bow hunting, love. but I need to fill that freezer. Exactly. So at the end of the day, if I don't fill tags and I don't fold tags with the bow this year, I'm pulling the iron out yeah it's it's gonna get done it's gonna get done (laughs) right on do you do any uh, duck hunting or waterfowl um only if i get invited out i do Mm. a little bit of upland too which is fun upland Um, is good yeah yeah. so it's you know i'd like to be able to do a little more of that you know looking at bringing a dog into the family and definitely looking at the breeds that would be a good companion out in the field whether Mm -hmm. you know a black lab or a a gsp or something like that duck tollers are also very nice duck tollers yeah yeah they're bred specifically to look like a fox okay yeah and what the natives used to do um is they would have a fox pelt and they'd uh, have a string on each side and they pull it back and forth and apparently that draws ducks in i have no idea why because you think that they would scatter away because they'd probably want to eat them but yeah so they they bred i believe it was a lab with uh, another breed to make them look a very duck toller. Yeah, Nova Scotia duck toller. I'll take a look at that. Yeah, they're they're very good waterfowl birds, and they do the soft mouth just like the labs. Sure. Do. Yeah. Sure. When the retrievers. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I recommend that one. I'll check it out. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Jesse. That was awesome. It was such a pleasure to sit down and talk with you. Um, Thanks for having me, Aaron. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, hopefully we can do another time, and yeah, hopefully you can enjoy the wonderful Calgary summer. There's so much to do. Hopefully smoke free and maybe a little less work for you. As yeah. Well. Oh know. God, we are. It's it's bad up there. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the news and stuff. So it's just a matter of hoping for the winds going the right way. Whenever we get north wind, I always my dad always reminds me. It's like yeah, I got a lot of smoke. I'm like sorry, trying. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, we're just so I'm initial attack, so we're the four man crews. Yeah. So we're the ones that get to the fire first and try to snuff it out uh, before it gets too big. Well, kudos so. to you guys. You guys do a hell of a job. And Thank I know you very much. Working in really. Uh, um, you know stressful situations but you know it's definitely appreciated what you guys are doing thank you thank you Uh, we're looking forward to rain so no kidding (laughs) anyway thank you very much i hope you guys enjoyed the episode this was episode 36